Hello, I'm Everett. And I'm Everett too. And welcome everybody to our podcast. Today we're continuing our series on linguistics. Are you excited for that? Yes. Well, that's fantastic because today we're talking about yes and no and yes or no questions and how these are represented in different languages. Exactly. Shall we get started then? Yes. In English, a common way of creating yes or no questions, also called polar questions, is to switch the order of words. Mary is at home becomes, is Mary at home? The auxiliary verb moves to the beginning of the sentence. For other verbs, do is often added to the beginning. Now, we could go much deeper into English syntax and semantics and discuss how do is an auxiliary verb of its own, and how it could be implied to be in many statements that contain action verbs, as well as come up with a bunch of exceptions for everything. But the point of this episode is to look at polar questions in other languages, so we'll refrain from diving too deep. And of course, it should be noted in this section and beyond that I'm sure every example given here is a generalization. There will likely be exceptions to anything said here in every language, but we're not experts in every language, so we're mostly looking to give an overview. Yep. And now that we've established that, on with the languages. In English speech, it's common to raise the pitch of your voice at the end of a question. In Italian, raising the pitch on various words of the question is the only way to indicate a polar question in speech. The order of words doesn't change. Oh, interesting. So how do you indicate a question in writing? With a question mark, like English, but we're not really looking at writing systems today. Luckily, no other example has this concern. In all languages of the world, the most common way to indicate a polar question is to add a word, called an interrogative protocol, to a sentence. This is seen in Japanese, where ka is added to the end of a sentence. Mandarin, similarly, has ma. We're actually going to look at Mandarin in a little more detail. While it does have ma, it also has another interesting way of constructing polar questions that we're going to look at. Yep. It's a structure called A not A, where instead of using a question protocol, both options are presented separated by not. The sentence, do you eat meat, would translate directly to, you eat not eat meat. You see something like that in English, with a sentence like, are you blank or blank? Yes, though that also contains the other question indicators that we have discussed. The A not A is the only indicator of a question in the Mandarin sentence. And there are different forms, such as A B not A B, where much more is repeated, where the example, do you know this woman? could be translated directly as, you know this woman, not know this woman. A, not AB, and AB, not A, are also valid forms where this woman sometimes appears and sometimes does not. Interesting. We don't see constructions like that in English generally, except for emphasis. And when we do, like you said before, there are plenty of other question indicators. Yeah, it's not really something we see in our everyday speech, where it's perfectly common in Mandarin. Now... How would you respond to a question like that in Mandarin? An equivalent to yes doesn't seem like it would work. Yeah, you have to respond to that with an echo response. In the meat example, you would simply respond with, in translation, eat or not eat. The same goes in Mandarin for many ma questions as well, where you restate some part of the question instead of using an equivalent to yes or no. Now, the reason that yes or no question was redefined as polar question was because many languages don't have a perfectly accurate translation for yes and no. There are even languages that are much closer to English that don't have perfect translation. See, there's an ambiguity in English with regards to what yes means in certain contexts. I'm sure you've encountered the problem where you ask someone like, isn't this great? And they respond with yes. Oh, You don't know if they're taking the sentence literally and saying, this is not great, or if they also think that it is great. People will often have to clarify their response for you to properly understand it. Some languages avoid this by having a three-phrase system where they have two different yeses, with the one used depending on whether the initial question is positive or negative. In French, oui. is used as a positive response to a positive sentence, meaning I did when asked, did you? 
is used to mean I did when the question is didn't you and is no in response to both questions, meaning I didn't. Another language with a three-phrase system is Norwegian, with being equivalent to we, to see, and to know and none. Japanese, on the other hand, only has two phrases, but it is known that and strictly indicate the truth of the sentence. Hi means I did when in reply to did you, and I didn't when in reply to didn't you. Ie means I didn't in reply to did you, and I did when in reply to didn't you. Cool. So we've seen multiple ways of having two phrases, and a couple examples of three phrases. What about four phrases? In fact, Order English had four phrases. Whoa. Besides yes and no, yay and nay were also included. Yes and no were originally I did and I didn't in response to didn't you, while yay and nay were for responding to positive questions like did you. That's pretty interesting how they seem to have fallen out of normal speech. It seems much more complicated then. In fact, it was. George Perkins Marsh's Lectures on the English Language, printed in 1859, contains a quote from 1557 that's telling off another author for misusing these four phrases. Marsh points out that this quote in itself defines them incorrectly. Wow. So it's understandable why the use of one set of phrases faded away. Yeah, I could definitely understand that. It's so interesting how all these systems evolved. But we're not going to be able to even touch on that, are we? Sadly, it is about time to wrap it up for today. I wish we could discuss more, because there are so many things we're missing. Your, your last sentence there, you used another way to form a polar question in English that we didn't even mention. And I'm sure there were many more ways of asking and answering questions. Many more in all languages, too. There are so many languages in areas of the world that we're skipping. Exactly. Though, you should be glad that I didn't bring up a 376-page book about answering polar questions in Welsh. That exists? Yep. It looks perfect for this podcast, and I'm sure it's much more thorough than we have been here. If we could, we'd explore that as well. But we've given what I think is a good summary. We've mentioned a few ways of creating polar questions in various languages, and mentioned a few ways of answering polar questions in various languages. Yep, I think it's a good overview. And to our listeners at home, we hope you enjoyed it. And we hope to see you next time. And we hope you have a great day. Goodbye! Bye.